Totally Football Show. Today, VAR, a long, long way to run. VAR, VAR, gloom. VAR, sectomy. We round up the latest round of controversy and ask, is Stockley Park Man United's biggest asset since Jisung? Then we'll round up the rest of the big stories from this weekend, including Villa winning with a shot off target and other oddities in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, with us today, three of the finest names in football journalism, Matt Davis-Adams. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> right, from Chelsea TV. Yeah, it's not true, but a nice introduction. Thank oh. you. Also here, The Athletic's Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. And fresh off a, a very early train from Sheffield this morning and about to get on a slightly later one back, mm. it is Daniel's story. Good morning. Good morning to you, Daniel. The, the Rebel MC writes in, how was Daniel's story's stag weekend? What did they get up to? Uh, it, it wasn't a stag weekend and we just yeah sat in the pub and watched sport, which was right. always the intention. Could you not have done that at home? Uh, yeah, I could have done that at home. I did exactly what I would have done at home, but with more alcohol than I'd have liked. Oh, I see. Uh, was there nothing specific to your location in Sheffield that you did? No, no. We, we When we originally booked it, we'd hoped that Sheffield and I'd Arsenal might have been at a time when we were there, but it got moved to the only time when we wouldn't have been there, which is Monday night, which is why I'm now heading back this afternoon. Brilliant. Slightly conscious of how we kick off today's show, Matt, because we've got Michael with us here. And as he pointed out this week, he's watched the start of all 160 halves of Premier League football so far this season. This is prior to this weekend. And worked out what every side does at kickoff. A lot of people asking why, Michael. But I'm not going to. I'm going to say, what was your biggest takeaway from that? The extent to which every side tries to hit a big diagonal from kickoff. Is that right? Even Liverpool and City did it, I think, four of their first eight kickoffs of the season. It just seems a bit of a waste of a opportunity to build a good passing move. Okay, so there's literally nobody who does something slightly different. In the way that Klopp has identified the throw-in as a potential for some marginal gains, nobody's done that with the kickoff. Well, Arsenal and Chelsea tried to keep the ball, but in general it's just a big Sunday league diagonal towards the opposition corner flag, really. And, and often it goes out for a throw, and, and that has been used as a tactic elsewhere. Okay. Marseille, a couple of seasons ago, would not even play it back, would just essentially kick for touch and box in the opposition from a throw-in. So, yeah, I, I, when I started it, I was thinking it was 120 kickoffs I had to watch, but it was actually 160. <laughs> and are you slightly disappointed by the outcome, the lack of tactical variation in that? No, I think that was the, the expectation. And we kind of wanted to show that it's essentially just a Sunday league thing, even at the highest, uh, even at the highest level. Which is nice. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. It's an underwhelming weekend of Premier League action. Had its moments, but by and large, certainly in terms of goals, what were there? 15 on Saturday and VAR controversy, and then another two on Sunday and VAR controversy. And Sunday's game is a, as good a place as any to start, no matter, as Man United become the first team in 18 matches to take points off runaway leaders Liverpool, uh, killing off their, their bid to set a new record and all that kind of thing. So, first off, are United back? No, I don't think so. No, um, uh, but it was a much better performance from them, certainly, and and something that that Solskjaer can can use as a measuring stick for for future performances. Hopefully, from them, I'm not sure how much of it was a result of Liverpool being under par. It's certainly interesting how much it seems to affect them when one of the f- front three uh, isn't playing. Uh, you look at that in contrast to uh, United losing to Anzabi in the warm up and and seeming to cope with that. Uh, pretty well other than maybe you could apportion some blame to to Rojo for the for the late goal they conceded but I don't think it was anything particularly revolutionary from Solskjaer in, in the way that they went about the game it was just kind of playing to their strengths and and from the first goal you know you saw that like counter-attacking is one thing they seem to be able to do quite well under Solskjaer and, and Rashford having scored that great goal for England on Monday night getting his first from open play in the Premier League since opening day he's obviously pivotal to them but um, again, I mean, the VAR was the, the larger talking point from the game, probably because as it tends to be between these two, it wasn't a thriller by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, Duncan Alexander tweeting, it's 15 years since they scheduled a Premier League game between Liverpool and United at 3pm on a Saturday. It might be worth trying that again. I quite enjoyed the game. Yeah, I, I, I thought that the interesting thing was how Solskjaer, who has, we've criticised and I have criticised a lot, and I think rightly so, but he, he saw what Chris Wilder did 
Sheffield United against Liverpool in trying to stop those fullbacks getting forward, playing with wing backs, trying to pin them back and kind of sprinting at Alexander Arnold and Robertson as soon as they got the ball. And it pretty much worked because the one thing Liverpool aren't very good at is is any creativity from central midfield. So mm. if you make the fullbacks give them the central midfielders the ball, they they do look a little bit lost. And they did look a little bit lost. And I think other teams will probably try the same plan against Liverpool. I think the game changed when when Naby Keita came on and he might he might be due to start a couple of games now but both against Sheffield United and, and United Klopp's plan to counteract it which did eventually work was just to basically play this 4-2-4 formation where he just picks all these attackers and tries to pin back the opposition wing backs and therefore create a bit of space for the full backs and that worked but you can't do that from the start of the game I don't think otherwise you'll get picked off on the counter so it is a little bit of a problem for Klopp it, it almost amused me watching it how quickly our kind of psychology can change of you know myself I thought Liverpool were, were clear and would probably win the league and then suddenly one, they play one game they don't win and suddenly I think well hang on have they got a problem here so I thought that was interesting Alright what did you take from the game Michael? Yeah I was quite impressed by Solskjaer's approach actually they've often looked good under Solskjaer when they've played without a conventional striker or with the strikers attacking from wide away at Arsenal and Tottenham Early this calendar year, they played very well with that system. I thought the use of wing backs worked well. I mean, right. what, what, why would the strikers being wide? Why does that help them? They seem to just play that system well. I mean, Rashford is is better attacking from wide. I think Daniel James obviously is a winger naturally, and Pereira, who I don't really get as a player, but I thought did a, quite a good job at, at the uh, at the top of the system. I mean, they don't really have a natural number nine as we've talked about um, quite a lot this season. So maybe that's a a possible approach for them going forward. But I thought the main thing in the first half for United was the positioning of the wing-backs. And they didn't play it as a back five. They did genuinely play it as a back three. And that meant that the wing-backs found a lot of space in the gap between Liverpool's wingers and, and full-backs. There was a lot of situations where Liverpool's full-backs were quite slow up to them and basically got bypassed. So they played that very well. The downside of playing that way for United was uh, they left their defenders exposed three on three at the back. United got away with a few situations. I think Lindelof was struggling against Origi. Also, that disallowed Mane goal, which was correctly disallowed, but it wasn't great defending from Lindelof. So there was some some difficult moments, I think, for United, maybe not reflected in the in the scoreline or indeed in the XG, but I think that uh, overall you have to say Solskjaer did a, a good job here. OK. Uh, when's Salah due back? Is it just the one week? Yeah, it's a, week? yeah, it's a twisted ankle, so I think it was more of a... I mean, he would have played if he'd have been fit, there's no doubt, and he might well not be risking the Champions League, but right. yeah, uh, I think it's just a, a quick recovery. Right, he might not be making the journey to Genk, unlike you, Daniel. Mm, that's right, yeah. Right. Which seemed a very good idea at the time, and it's now a, a, a monster trip. Right, <laughs> Liverpool currently in third place in their group, but, but ahead of Genk, but uh, mm. a crucial match, as of course they all are. At this level, Rashford with his best game in months, everybody agreed. And how nice was it to see Adam Lallana coming back and, and scoring? Yeah, 2014's Adam Lallana. I'd kind of forgotten about him and they brought Oxlade-Chamberlain on as well. And yeah. Oh yeah, they, those two. But first goal for two years for Adam. In the middle of Liverpool and Adam Lallana has come on and got his career maybe back on track. Who was it coming to? Was it Martin Tyler, yeah. Yeah, he was saying that potentially could turn his career around, which uh, is that slightly high hyperbolic or hyperbolic? Yeah, I think it probably is in that, well, when Mohamed Salah is fit and when Jordan Shakiri is fit again and I think Oxley chamberlain is ahead of Lallana, so yeah, it's a heck of a long way to go. I think he probably needs a move more than anything else, but if it is a kind of shot window thing, he, I think one of the, the odd things about Liverpool was how... Lallana's finish was because he was in the right place at the right time and that's kind of what we associate about Mane particularly over the last couple of years but they seem just a bit sluggish Roberto Firmino was pretty sluggish kind of thrashed at one shot and then hit another one really tamely when in a pretty good position so yeah it was good timing from Lallana but yeah I'm not sure it's a career redefining moment I mean I think it's worth saying regardless of United's tactics which I think did work very well Liverpool were really poor yeah. I mean in a wider issue, it seemed like they almost were playing the occasion a little bit too much. I mm. haven't seen Liverpool look just so uncoordinated, a little bit rattled in certain situations. They played poor passes, there was poor touches. Occasionally they tried to switch the play, which they generally do very well, and it just went to opponents. So that was a strange game from Liverpool. But I think that uh, there's a danger of going OTT. I mean, they've won eight and then drawn one. The one being probably their second hardest away game of the season, I think, for, for Liverpool specifically. 
after City. So they're in a pretty good situation. All right. Well, Man United uh, leaves us uh, with one game still to go this weekend, which is Sheffield United against Arsenal. In the meantime, United are still two points off the drop and Liverpool's lead is now, as you mentioned, Daniel, six points. They go to Genk on Wednesday and then they have Spurs on Saturday. Brilliant. Man City closing in thanks to their 2-0 win at Crystal Palace, going by the shot count comfortable for Guardiola's men, although there was that moment when we almost got a career-rescuing header from Christian Benteke. Yeah, I mean, I do feel sorry for Benteke. He's um, he's always seeming to get into the right positions and not quite providing the finish. Perfectly good finish on this occasion, just a really good save. Mm. But yeah, this was very comfortable for City. I mean, they were excellent. Obviously won the game pretty early, should have scored a lot more really in the second half. That Gabriel Jesus uh, failure to pass for De Bruyne was infuriating. But it was a fascinating performance from City tactically. I mean, to use two central midfielders as your two centre-backs is, even for Guardiola, is quite quite daring. Audacious, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think John Stones was particularly a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a real worry, isn't it? I mean, to play Fernandinho and Rodri ahead of him, I'd be asking serious questions. But we've come to take it for granted the way City play. But to play two midfielders at the back, two right. full-backs who tuck inside... And pretty much a midfield three of all playmakers, Gundogan maybe not so much. It is quite remarkable that you can go away to Crystal Palace, which traditionally is the type of game where you think we're going to have to be solid and resilient and a bit English. Guardiola's just, you know, incredible manager in that sense. Yeah, especially because it's against an opposition that have spooked his team so recently. And, and maybe the one thing we learned from All or Nothing was that he's a bit worried about Crystal Palace. So particularly brave of him to employ it in that game. But... um Roy Hodgson still won quote of the day from the managers. Not not too concerned about the defeat. We still we've still got our hat peg nicely in place. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Right, it was a good performance from Wayne Hennessy, parrying City's shots like they were FA bringing the game into dis- disrepute charges. <laughs> but yeah, no. But just coming back to that John Stones thing. I mean, so I know the normal rules don't apply at City, mm. but if you're a centre half and he and your manager uses two midfielders ahead of you. At centre half, yeah, I mean, there's a clear message there. Yeah, there is. There is absolutely a clear message. I mean, the the plan really. It was even more remarkable, I think, because although he played two midfielders at centre back, Fernandinho actually played much higher than Rodri. Now you'd probably have assumed it was the other way around because Fernandinho has been playing centre back a bit. But I was looking at that the, the heat and the touch map, and Fernandinho, the majority of his touches are in are in Palace's half, so he's basically playing as high up as Gundogan. So it was it was almost. Rodri sat by himself, two attacking fullbacks, and then seven midfielders, basically. It was, it was really strange. But yeah, I mean, John Stones, we've talked about him on here before. He's kind of maybe, a, I don't want to say personal problems because that's unfair, but, you know, no, he's right. kind of off-field issues maybe uh, and injuries. And I think Guardiola, he is a manager that if he decides he maybe doesn't fancy you, it's really hard to get back in his good books. He showed that before. And yeah, I think he's got a big effort because... As you say, Laporte's out, Otamendi's out, and he's still not in the team. So. And especially the kind of centre-back he is. Yeah. It's not like you're leaving out Chris Smalling because you're saying, well, we need two guys really good on the ball. Right. That's meant to be John Stones' thing. So what is his role there, really? Mm. City have Atalanta in the Champions League. On Tuesday, we'll be discussing that fixture with the, uh, the whole European crew. That'll be with you Tuesday morning. Lots to talk about in our European edition this week with the situation in Barcelona, the unrest there, the Clasico being postponed, Real Madrid losing this weekend. Apparently this, this week could be could be last chance saloon for Zinedine Zidane again. All sorts of excitements anyway. Uh, for now, uh, we'll just uh, play a bit of music and then come back with an exciting part two. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. English manager of the year three times, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Bosh. Michael, you're a big fan of the FA Cup fourth round qualifying. Well, any <laughs> any FA Cup qualifying round, pretty much. I like the FA Cup in general. It's right. only when the Premier League teams come in. <laughs> it's a waste of time. I yeah. see. Okay. You went this weekend? 
away at uh, Kingstonian, 3-2 win away at Conference Southside Dartford, which is great. It means Kingstonian at into the first round draw for the first time since 2000. As did a team that you have some sympathies for, Matt Dulwich Hamlet. Yes, they've uh, had an impressive start to the season and they will be on the one show for the first time oh. tonight. Oh, because the draw's on the one show? Yeah. All right, presumably with a couple of slots empty because there was one game that was abandoned in the FA Cup Falls round of qualifiers and this was a really big story that came out of uh, that competition. Harangay Borough taking on Yeovil Town and the game basically suspended uh, 61, 64 minutes in after sustained abuse of a couple of the Harangay players, uh, allegedly, from the, the visiting fans. Mm. Uh, let's see, the goalkeeper and defender had stones thrown at them. Uh, the goalkeeper was spat at. The referee apparently also confirmed to Harangay staff that a water bottle hit uh, the goalkeeper and other bottles were thrown and just a horrible, horrible atmosphere. That's terrible. It's good that some decisive action seems to have been taken, although it largely depends, I guess, what happens next. And uh, Jack Tanner asking, what are the FA likely to do or what should they do with the Harringay yeovil situation? The, qu- the question is, which has long been a question which would kind of remain undecided, is do you punish the individuals invol- involved and focus on that and kind of bring Yeovil into that and get them to you know back your message or do you punish the club and say well the fact that it happens is your problem and therefore we'll for example kick you out the FA Cup that's right. the decision they've got to make not just because it's a club problem because that's one way of punishing the fans and, exactly. and, and suggesting to any fans around them next time that they wouldn't tolerate things that they kind of shouldn't be tolerating in the first place although they might feel intimidated I guess I mean you guys go to the matches at this level is this kind of uh, is this kind of behaviour normal? No, well, I think there's certainly a culture at that level of giving the opposition goalkeeper some stick that people who don't watch that level of football might be surprised by, but certainly not on this level. It seems just a really good opportunity for them to kick out the over. I can't really see any argument against that, really. I mean, there may be some denials, but from what I saw from Yeovil fans, we're kind of quite apologetic and saying these people don't represent our club rather than saying this didn't happen, which is what right. we tend to find. So if... If, if it can be agreed that this happened, just kick them out. I, can't, I just can't really see why you would have any problem with that. And fair play to Harangay for, uh, you know, it's acting decisively and right. and just bringing the issue to, uh, well, national media attention. It was on the 10 o'clock news on Saturday night. Was it? Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, we don't know whether this would have been such a big story had the Bulgaria-England stuff not happened, but it does show the power of making an issue out of this. It does show a power of, you know, people say if you ignore it, you know, that's one way of dealing with the problem. That's To me, that's the complete antithesis of the solution. I think the fact that, w- that it was such a big deal was made of that, I, I suspect it did empower Haringey to think, well, actually, we can take a stand here. We know people will have our back. We know the media will have our back. And, yeah, as you say, good on them for doing it. I think as well, they, they were, I mean, from the reports, they, they weren't in a position where they could continue. The Haringey players in tears. Yeah, you know, and that's completely understandable. And... Obviously, the two players targeted suffer more than anybody. But mm. as Harry Kane said, actually, last week in the aftermath of the Bulgaria thing, um, these are my friends who it was happening to. So, it's, you know, it's difficult for the other players as well. But I totally agree that the only suitable action is to throw Yeovil out of the competition because the only way that will stop people like this doing things, people who tend to be so tribalistic, is to put the punishment on the team. So if tonight whoever's guesting on the one show picks out Haringey Borough or Yeovil away at Sunderland, which would be the plum tie in the FA Cup first round, then Yeovil have been kicked out of the competition. Well, there you go. That's the tangible punishment for what has happened rather than in these two supporters who've been arrested today. Yeovil say, well, you can't come to games anymore. That doesn't have a big enough impact on other people who were presumably involved in it. But I think what will happen is they'll say, well, you replay the game and there are no away supporters and it's that kind of mealy mouth response that we'll get there was a a similar case involving Dover and Hartlepool Mm. in September and inquiries are still continuing on that so yeah it doesn't it seems like this has actually forced the hand a bit so we we await with interest to see what action is taken read the draw I have to tell you Matt it's not on the one show it's on BBC Two and it's very own standalone program that's a shame oh okay break with tradition that's good I was looking forward to seeing Giles Brandreth trying to uh, (laughs) Sort out where By all means, watch playing. that, and through the miracle of technology, then <laughs> watch the uh, draw afterwards. Okay. The theme tune to the one show is the most nauseating <laughs> thing in the world, isn't it? Really? It's just Could you horrible. hum it for me? I don't know. No, 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 no. No, because just... then it'll be in your head and ours. 
I have to hear it now. Listener, do you know it? It sounds like this. Christ on a bike. What time of day does that go? Yeah, on? I know. <laughs> 7 p.m. on BBC One. That's just wrong. Listeners, it's time to talk about shaving. It's time to talk about Harry's. Just because I've been rocking a beard since the mid-90s doesn't mean I don't need to get my shave on. My neck and upper cheek always need attention. The good news is Harry's Cucumber and Aloe Shave Gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing their precision-engineered blades to glide across your face, making you look smooth and handsome. What's more, Harry's razors have a non-slip handle with a textured grip, more Alison Becker, say, than Loris Carrius. So if you're fed up with overpriced razors, why not get yourself a Harry's trial set sent right to your door for just £3.95. It's got everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. That aforementioned handle in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade razor cartridge with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, that rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. All you have to do is head to harrys.com slash totallyfootball. That's harrys.com slash totallyfootball. Ooh, the Premier League. Who's that goal difference off third while we wait for Arsenal at Bramall Lane this evening? It's Frank Lampard's Chelsea, Matt, who you witnessed in their exciting 1-0 win over Newcastle this weekend. Yeah, it was um, it wasn't exciting, but but oh. it's just what Chelsea were after because it was a clean sheet and a win against an obdurate opponent, which it looked for a long time that they weren't going to be able to break down. They had seventy one percent possession, eight shots on target to to naught. Newcastle offered next to nothing in attack, but Chelsea found a way to get through them, and then a large part of that has been Callum Hudson Odoi. He's playing right. like he's never been away and and covering for what is becoming an increasingly lengthy. Injury list for Frank Lampard to deal with. Ross Barkley went on, uh, went off early on in the game, joining Rudiger Kante, Emerson and Christensen on the sidelines, which I think just makes it all the more impressive that he's managed to engineer five wins in a row. Massive game coming up on Wednesday uh, against Ajax. But yeah, they were definitely worthy of the points here uh, as, as Newcastle tried to, tried to raffer it up, but without the same defensive rigour right although of course they did do that successfully at Spurs not too long ago Chelsea getting their halves the other way around this time slow and, and disappointing in the first half and actually resolving it in the second so that that's progress as well I mean there's genuine signs of progress in, in every aspect of the game the defending's definitely improved in the last few weeks and as I say the addition of Hudson-Odoi just gives them that little bit of, of extra cut and thrust but also the substitutes have proven effective Pulisic was the, the main example of that in this game he, he did a lot to kind of agitate the Newcastle defence when he came on and Kovacic looked better than Barkley had in his brief time on the pitch too so all in all, it's going very well at the moment, but key now is this doubleheader against Ajax. They need to get minimum four points out of that, really, and that, that sounds tricky. I me. see. I still want to talk about the Newcastle game, although mm, you clearly it. want to move on. No, no. Is Giroud no longer plan B at Stamford Bridge, then? No, he's not even plan C by the looks of it. Uh, is plan B. He, he comes on in the Premier League games if they're bringing on a striker, and this time it was Pulisic who was brought on in a game that kind of looked built for Giroud um, mm. to, to hold the ball up and move it on to others. Um, Abraham... Hit the bar, but had a, a frustrating afternoon after that. And Giroud finds himself in this odd position where he's first pick for France, their third all-time leading goal scorer, and, and struggling to get any minutes for Chelsea. Crikey, Alex asks, do the pod, in this case you, Matt, think that the sum of all parts is now greater at Chelsea than when Hazard was playing for them? Um, no, Hazard's a special case. He's one of the best fo- footballers the Premier League's seen in the last 10 years. So you'd always be better with him than without. You'd be, would you? Yeah. So if you put that Hazard Chelsea against this one here, it would be ugly, would it? I mean, it's difficult to say because you're talking about one player. Uh, It depends who the other 10 are, I would suggest. But what is clear is that the players who've come into the Chelsea team this season, the vast majority of whom are academy products, have all added to the team in a way that perhaps we weren't expecting them to do quite so spectacularly. Right. As for the visitors, Newcastle drop into the bottom three, but they have now played all of the big six in their first nine games. They've actually beaten two of them as well. Can they start to look up rather than down? What was Steve's view? Did you speak to him after the game at all, Matt? I did, but I know what he said. Yeah, <laughs> come on. So we just didn't weather the storm in the second half, you know. They were relentless for 15, 20 minutes. I have to say, I thought it was a foul on Joel Linton. 
for me, it was clear and obvious foul on Joe, but, you know, we move on. We take what we've got and we move on and we build for next week. And we'll support us, have to say, magnificent again today. But they're a good side, you know, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have any words for Alan San Maximian? I wonder. Hey, Marcus Alonso, 16th goal since the start of 2016, which is more than any other defender in that period. Is he going to be now regular in the team, do you think? No, I don't think so. Ooh. I think uh, Emerson is, is very much first pick in that position because he's um, a bit more athletic than Alonso and he uh, should be fit to make his return in Amsterdam on Wednesday. But right. obviously the goal doesn't doesn't harm Alonso's case. It was a great goal as well. Uh, go on then, let's talk about Wednesday. First time ever that Chelsea and Ajax face each other in what, official competition or like literally ever? Uh, in official competition as far as I'm aware. Ooh, what about the Umbro Cup at the City Ground in 1995? I was there that day. Yeah, they played then? about it on the show before. They did, yeah, but but no, I think <laughs> it was a bit of a stretch to call the Umbro Cup official competition. What was the Umbro Cup? Uh, it was a weird tournament at the City Ground pre-season either, was it post you were in 96 or was it before that year? Can't remember. I think, anyway, <laughs> mid-90s, uh, pre-season tournament, Forest Chelsea, Ajax, Man United, and Man United. Uh-huh. And I have spoken, I told this story before, but it always bears repeating. Uh, I saw Louis Van Gaal, the then Ajax manager. Uh, he tripped up some steps going to take his seat to watch one of the games, and one of the members of the Ajax band did it <laughs> with his trumpet, and Louis didn't enjoy it. What um, what lessons can you draw from that encounter going into Wednesday's clash? Fairly few. I'm not sure Paul Furlong will get a game, but. Uh, <laughs> But, it, I mean, as I say, it's a difficult assignment for Chelsea, but they need to get another win away. Obviously, they won away to Lille, but the fact that they lost on match day one at home to Valencia has put them behind the eight ball. Um, also, worth, if you are able to watch the game, I would suggest checking out the Youth League game beforehand between Ajax and Chelsea because you're talking about two of the premier yeah. academies in Europe, and that, that should be pretty good too. Very good. And that's happening the afternoon before the, prior to the match? Yeah, I think it's a one o'clock kickoff. Yeah, they always play on the day. The under-19s play first and then the seniors. And then the seniors, right. Tuesday, Champions League action at White Hart Lane as Spurs take on Red Star Belgrade. Hovori Jorte Spurs. That's my Google Translate, lads, it's Spurs in Serbian. (laughs) Uh, Spurs, who hosted a Watford side on Saturday, who hadn't won all season and hadn't won at Spurs since, I mean... Forever and were absolutely wretched. I think they'd lost the last sixteen against big six teams away, right. conceding like fifty-five. Goals but they very nearly won here against the Spurs team, who we were thinking might have a reaction off the international break. But but no, Michael. No, I think Spurs got away with one here. I mean, Pochettino made seven changes, which I think says a lot about uh, you know his his inability really to to find his best eleven at the moment. And yeah, obviously, Watford went ahead early. Decore was very good throughout this game, and. Uh, Sorry to bring in VAR, but how on earth that wasn't a penalty for Vertonghen's foul on... It was the longest foul I've ever seen. He was fouling him, it seemed like, for about five metres and a few seconds. I, I just... I found that incredible that wasn't overturned. Yeah, yeah a lot of people focusing on Deli Ali's equaliser and the supposed handball there. But for me, De Lafell was the... The, 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 the absurdest call I've seen for a long time or lack of a, a call and I think it's impossible I mean, we try and avoid discussing VAR but mm. it, it does seem we know what the cost of having this technology involved is in terms of the impact on the enjoyment and the, and the delays that, that the fans uh, and, and players have to endure but when you don't even get clear decisions coming at, at the end of it the weird, the weird thing I think and the thing I maybe had overlooked until it was in practice in the Premier League was that the reality of VAR, either subconsciously or, or overtly, is that referees will think, well, if I've made a mistake there, it doesn't matter as much because VAR will then come in and intervene. But the the bar is being set so high right. for intervention. Well, you made the point that now referees are not blamed for things yeah. while the action is well, taking place. Know. Because they assume, or that yeah. seems to be the case. Agreed. They, we'll just let it run because VAR can... But they VAR just mm. will not. And I must admit, at the start of the season, I thought, I don't like VAR. I don't see why you need to introduce a committee to tell everyone whether it's a goal or not. It's it's bureaucratic. It's red tape. It's the antithesis of what makes football enjoyable. Yeah. But I did think it was good news that they weren't going to have the ref going over to the sidelines, save all that kerfuffle. 
And uh, yeah, I thought well, it's I think, pro- probably yeah. quite a good way of doing it, but it doesn't seem to be. No, I mean, uh, if you had it, it what if you're not going to have the TV monitors, it, it certainly needs some th- a more of a two-way discussion between the referee and the VAR official. So, for example, the referee yesterday at Old Trafford says because he looked at the foul and didn't give it, so he said there might be a foul there. Can we go back and look at it? That's what you're looking out for. Right. And at that point. If the referee thinks there might be a foul, you've got an in for VAR to overturn it. But the reality is, is any referee now are letting something play out and waiting for VAR, it will, it's not going to be given. It's only the howlers they're going to intervene on. Which but, or not even the howler in this case. Indeed. Indeed. But the, the VAR is, is littered with problems. I mean, you're either for it or against it, and, and I'm against it, and that colours my arguments anyway. But you're not talking about a piece of technology taken away from human decision-making if you're saying well, one guy thinks this, let's go see what the other guy thinks. And I'm sure that there is a case when there's a a lesser experienced referee and a more experienced VAR thinking, I don't want to knock this guy's confidence and overturn everything that he's doing. But the the other way around. Yes, so yesterday you had David Coote as the VAR and Martin Atkinson, by far the most experienced referee on the pitch at, at Old Trafford. But... As I say, I'm not a fan of VAR anyway, but the Premier League have really tied themselves in knots with this high bar thing because it's so ambiguous. You know, what, what does it mean? And if we are having a high bar for VAR intervention, then why have it in the first place? You know, the, the one at Old Trafford yesterday, they, perhaps they're thinking, well, it was a long time between Origi being fouled and the goal being scored, so a lot's got to happen on the pitch before that, so we're not going to get involved in it. Well, either it's a foul... Mm. And the referee hasn't spotted it. Or it should be it's said. It, I think it was definitely about. It's not a foul. It wasn't about. I think Dale Johnson, ESPN, originally, who's you know very knowledgeable on the subject, but he originally wondered whether it was because of how far back in the move it was. But they confirmed the Premier League that it was just not a foul, right? Or not enough of a foul, which is the problem. I think. All right. But Jimenez had one ruled out, didn't he? Two, yeah. Handball and an offside. But yeah, Chris Wood on Johnny Evans. Yeah. Oh, that was a dreadful decision. You know, that, that, for me, that's by far the worst of all the VAR oh, really? calls this weekend. Yeah, because it, for Johnny Evans to have got to the ball and cleared it, it would have been the greatest goal line clearance in the history of football. Right. There was no way he would have done that. And you can tell, as Sean Dyche, as he does, argued that. There was no intent from Wood to trip Evans. It was just the the way that his legs were going. It just I, I thought that was But he did outrageous. touch him, didn't he? Well, yeah, but Evans wasn't going to get to the ball anyway. It was wasn't he not? an intentional foul. The ball was going in. Well, are you sure he wasn't going to get to the ball? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, again, that's my opinion. And the opinion of the bloke in Stockley Park was different to the opinion of the on-field referee. And here we are again. i got to say, I thought the, the Villa one... That really surprised me yeah. with the goal disallowed for the challenge on the goalkeeper, which I... Because then, yeah, <laughs> ha, ha, in what world was that a higher bar? Yeah, exactly. Than... It kind of was a foul. If it had been given on the pitch, you go, OK, well, the referee saw it. But having watched it on video, I didn't think it was a foul. It's certainly right. less of a foul than the Watford one. All it's right. just, uh, like, none of it makes sense. It's none of it makes sense. It's we're in this situation. Mm. Well, I'd love to continue this conversation, but... Red Star, anyway, coming up for Spurs. Red Star, who famously beat Liverpool... Yeah, last season, but that was back at the Maracanã with a K. On the road, they're not so good. They lost the last four in the Champions League group stage on the road. Although back in match day one, they went to Bayern Munich and were holding out for a draw until the final minutes of the game. So against the Spurs team that, as I say, failed to show any any of that hopeful revival, especially in the opening minutes against Watford, the potential for a deepening crisis, I think, is elevated. On Tuesday, you can watch all that unfold, of course, in the very excellent goal show. Yes. <laughs> Watford, they remain bottom of the table. Let's see. Uh, four points from safety now. The next seven sides are separated by just three points. Among the Man United, still two points off the drop. For now, the other two in the bottom three are Norwich, who had a goalless draw at Bournemouth. was good for Norwich, their first clean sheet of the season. And Newcastle who are third last behind Southampton on goal difference. Southampton had a one-more draw at Wolves. Raul Jimenez and Danny Ings after Conor Cody had a bit of a wobble. Really worrying for Wolves, I think. Last season, their trend was being very good on the counter against big teams and struggling against the rest. And we felt for a bit like they'd addressed that, but we're back there again because they, they only created, I think they only created two chances. Really? Yeah, two chances and had four shots in total against Southampton, who had conceded 10 goals in four games. So, 
Yeah, and Ryan Benny went off injured, and Ruben Nevers went off injured, and Romain Sice got injured before the international break, and they've got four away games in 12 days. It's it's a little bit worrying for that squad. Mm. All right. I mean, not in any, you know, not in any, they're going to go down way, but just in kind of things feeling slightly fizzled out. I see. Southampton really underwhelming as well, aren't they? I thought they were going to be decent this season with, with Hasenhutl having a, had a full pre-season. And, and even before this game, he was talking that actually not many of his players had gone away on international duty. So he'd effectively had a fortnight to train them. They went in front and, and couldn't see it out. And they are, what, a place above the relegation zone? Yeah, it's just it? goal difference above the relegation zone. Above them are Brighton, who slipped down to 16th now after that game, which you really enjoyed, Matt. The 2-1 defeat at Villa the most shot-tastic game of the season there were 44 Fitting attempts it was finished, finished by a target in that case then. nice very nice uh, game changed after Moyes red card is that fair? Uh, yeah got a really silly booking for, for stopping a free kick being taken and, and then a yellow card which was deserved for a poor tackle on um, Jack Grealish who was outstanding again in the game, um, got to be getting close to to the England squad. He might even have jumped above James Madison, given uh, really? what Madison's been up to in the last few weeks. But it felt like a big what? win for Villa. Right. Why, why was him going to the casino such an issue? Um, I think it's probably just poor form if you say you're not feeling very well. And then the fact that it was the night of the game, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think it would, it would have been as big of an issue if it had been a different player who doesn't carry the reputation that, that, that Madison does, and right. whether that's deserved or not. Football can't be seen to have any links for gambling, James. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, right, back-to-back goals now for Jack Grealish. Back-to-back wins for Aston Villa for the first time since Tim Sherwood was in charge. Mm. Nice. First time in 50 games they've won from behind in the Premier League as well. Is that right? Mm. Wow. Remarkable. Matt Target, who's clearly right, Matt, as you, you touch on there, for a kind of widely used nickname based on the fact that he scores goals, Matt Finish would be mine, mm, I nice. think. <laughs> but uh, you were saying earlier, Daniel, or at least when I say earlier, a couple of weeks ago, about uh, Granite Xhaka and your... And, uh, yeah, and it, it also fits because he is quite literally a Xhaka, Xhaka all trades. Xhaka But master all of trades. Mm. Xhaka can't. Brilliant. Be a good one. Still not, not quite beating, obviously fits all's the standard bearer, but uh, remember Kiki Musampa yeah, used to one. play for... Fantasy, Chris. So this is Kiki Musampa, mm. or yeah, Chris Musampa. Yeah, so that, I mean so that, that came to the extent that people include. Well, I think right. definitely me would think forgot that his name was Kiki and right. wrote Chris Musampa. Yeah, Chris Musampa. Fits all is one size, as you know. Yeah. David and Go was known as Wash. Wash yeah, yeah, clearly. Anybody we've very forgotten? football addressing room, isn't it? <laughs> all right, Wash. Excellent. Brian McClare, Chockey. Always enjoyed that. Chockey McClare. Yeah, as in Chockey McClare. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do they call you in the playground, Daniel Story? It was at the time of What's the Story, Morning Glory, so right. it was that. Actually, okay. yeah. I or Fairy Story, which is so. a shame. Right. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's derogatory. That's disappointing, isn't it? That's behind my back. Okay, the big winners in the bottom half were Everton. We'll talk about them next. Hey, friend of the Totally Football Show, if you'd like to come and see us and you're in Dublin or Belfast or Liverpool, as you probably know, we are coming to your town. 8th of November, we're in Dublin. 9th of November, we're in Belfast. On the 25th, if memory serves, we're in Liverpool. But all the details and what tickets there may still be are available at thetotallyfootballshow.com slash events. Now, Everton, their first victory since August this weekend, 2-0 at home. To West Ham. Now, Daniel, you said recently that you felt this game was a barometer mm. for so, Everton. Yeah, on Thursday, I think, yeah. Right. What What's your forecast then? Is the high pressure lifting nice. on Marco Silva? Uh, it was certainly their best performance of the season. And it was a, a performance made after he made, I think, five changes and kind of reinvented the midfield. He, he, he Until now, he's wanted that defensive midfield screen of at least one of Schneidlin or Delph. But he picked Tom Davies, his first, he's Everton captain, it was his first start since February for Davies. And it was better. As they were helped by West Ham being dreadful, as, as West Ham quite often can be away from home. But Theo Walcott was good. Alex Iwobi played as a number 10 and looked good. And they, they just looked like they had a bit more intensity without without Gilfie Sigurdsson, which is a shame, although he did hmm. come on and score a... It's a, a lovely goal. Score, um, he scored what he... My favourite type of Sigurdsson goal, which is when he basically does this sort of open play, play free kick in that he wins the ball, beats a man and then just kind of 
basically has the ball still and takes a free kick and right. throws it top corner. Well, yeah, he, he earned himself enough time by, by sitting the defender mm. down. No? Yeah. Still the second best goal in that game. Bernard's me, goal was astonishing. I just, I just love that uh, I certainly did, and I'm sure everybody else watching just, oh, why didn't you shoot? And then by the time you finish the <laughs> sentence, all oh, right, yeah, that's why. Yeah, Very enough. good. You are better than us. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah. yeah, amazing control there as he hung on to that ball. Uh, in and out of the uh, West Ham defence. West Ham now one win in six. Mm. Yeah. They've got back-to-back home games against Sheffield United and Newcastle, though, so they should be um, targeting six points from that, if not getting them. Right. Although Sheffield United away from home, dangerous yeah. customers. Yeah, but if West Ham have got pretensions of being anything other than ninth to 14th, then they need to win those two games, don't they? Right. Michael... Can you tell us about Leicester 2, Burnley 1? Because uh, Leicester level on points with with Chelsea, but they're actually ahead of Chelsea on goal difference, aren't they? Thanks to the fact that uh, Burnley's late goal, the the Chris Woods one that we mentioned, was Mm. was ruled out here. Yeah, that changed everything, didn't it? I mean, Burnley played quite well here, created some good chances. I quite like Chris Wood because he just does his thing, doesn't he? He's a little bit like Jamie Vardy in a sense, although ironically Jamie Vardy did score a very un-Vardy goal, which was a towering header. But Burnley played to his strengths, Chris Wood, and I think his relationship with Barnes. You know, people talk about that style of football as being easy to do, but it's not because otherwise all League One and League Two clubs would play that, you know, play to that level. But Burnley just do it in a very organised way. And they cause Leicester problems here. Yuri Tielemans looked very good, scored a very good goal. Mm. But also, you know, it comes back to that late goal. But Tielemans was, you know, I think a lot of people's man of the match. But actually, he conceded possession for that, you know, what Matt thinks should have, you know, been a, a Burnley equaliser. So, topsy-turvy game. I Do think you not that, agree with Matt that that, that penalty, should, that, that foul shouldn't have been called? On about the 10th replay I saw, I thought it was a foul. Right. That's a no. How about Burnley fans targeting Jamie Vardy with Jamie Excellent. Vardy? Your wife is a grass. Yeah, and I, I wrote this morning. That's the second time Vardy's done that after getting abuse. A couple of years ago, when they were playing Spurs at home, Rebecca Vardy had just entered. I'm a celebrity, and um, the chant was. It, it was indicative. It was referring to what might be happening to Rebecca Vardy on that programme. And, uh, yeah, Vardy scored that amazing chip goal. And just, yeah, he just loves that cupping hands. He he genuinely uses that hatred as Cupping fuel. the ears. Yeah, he yeah. absolutely loves it. Um, and, and away against um, Sheffield United yes. in the season, getting loads of abuse and scored the winner. Yeah. Yeah. Surprised they went with, with grass. It's not a very northern term. It's quite um, a Scottish Twitter word, yeah. Hmm. But, really? Um, one thing on Leicester... Sorry, he's bringing it back to football. Yeah. One thing on Leicester... Interesting, I think. Over the last couple of years, Leicester have been consistently falling behind in games. So last season, only the bottom three conceded the first goal of the game more often. The difference under Brendan Rodgers, because he hasn't actually managed to stop that. Again, I think there's only three clubs done it again this season more often, but they're actually coming from behind to win games, um, which they weren't doing last season. I think they lost... I think they only took like 0.6 points a game, I think, last season after conceding first. And this season, they're already miles beyond that. So... That is kind of one of those tenets of Brendan Rodgers' management that he kind of, you know, picks players off the floor and demands more, et cetera, et cetera. But it does seem to be working. Okay. Well, sorry, but I just thought we should mention they they definitely deserve a huge amount of credit, Leicester. Obviously, they were marking a a year since the anniversary of of the death of, of, of their owner. And the way that they've dealt with that as a club seems quite remarkable to me. You know, it, it, it seems unimportant in the in the scheme of things but to have been able to go and secure somebody like Brendan Rodgers probably the best available manager that they could have got uh, you know given the upheaval that must have been around the club and the fact that the person who's taken over had lost his dad it's not like it's yeah. just somebody uh, unattached the, the to the family's situation. been extraordinary yeah, yeah re- uh, really uh, magnificent the way that they've yeah. dealt with it and a, and a lovely tribute as well absolutely the whole ground holding aloft scarves saying making the impossible possible which is very much what Leicester have done. There you go. That's the Premier League weekend. Very shortly, we'll touch on uh, some of the excitements awaiting midweek. Worried looks from the panel here. And looking at one or two of your messages. First of all, though, let's get some odds on how some of the Premier League teams are expected to fare in continental competition. Here's producer Ben. Well, hello there, listeners. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power, looking ahead to some of the Champions League games this midweek. Lee, let's start with Liverpool. Can they get four or more against Gonk? Well, we certainly think they'll win. They're one to four to win the game, and it's odds on they score at least three goals, and just five to two they score four or more. Our traders are predicting a comfortable victory for Liverpool, though 
I don't know if it's that brave a shout, really. No offence to Genk, of course. Spurs have not had a good time of it in the Champions League this season. What are the odds on Red Star getting something when they are at the Tottenham Stadium? <laughs> well, just to confirm that I wasn't trying to offend Genk in my last answer, I can confirm that Tottenham are an even shorter price than Liverpool to win. They're 1-5 to five to beat Red Star, with the visitors a chunky 11-1 to one to win. If you do fancy Red Star to avoid defeat, or more likely you fancy Spurs to Spurs it up, the Red Star double chance them to win or draw is 16-5, to five, and that could be value. And finally, Lee, give us some numbers, please, when it comes to Man United not scoring again, this time against Partizan Belgrade in the Europa League. Poor Man United fans, they've had a tough time of it recently. And by recently, I mean, what, the last six years? But we do make them favourites to win this game, actually, at 11-10. to 10. And we do make it odds-on, 2-9, to nine, and they score at least once in this game. But compared to Liverpool markets I mentioned earlier... It's longer than evens they score any more than that. So we don't fancy them to go goal crazy in this one. We make it 13-5, to five, in fact, that United failed to score in Belgrade. I don't think anyone would be that surprised. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Europa League never gets enough love. Matt on this show because we we have a special show doing with Europe and that that look ahead at the Champions League and all that but always get Thursday football gets a bit forgotten about so is there a Thursday fixture that you are ever so excited about I'm kind of excited not to have to be bothered with them the Europa League this season if I'm I'm brutally honest (laughs) having uh, having but as a neutral you're not Everyone says it gets great at the end, but at these early stages, before it gets cool, is this not a good time to get in? Not massively. I mean, the, the interesting game, I suppose, is the one between Slovan and Bratislava and Wolves, which is supposed to be behind closed doors because mm. of UEFA sanctions, and there are 20,000 people who are going to be watching it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that comes back to what we've been talking about earlier. How is, how is that happening, exactly? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, because these sanctions that are imposed by UEFA are not particularly rigorously enforced. Or right. I would suggest, but yeah, just looking down the list, I'm not, I'm not. Partizan Belgrade, yeah, great. I mean, Ren Cluj, yeah, Partizan Belgrade up against Man United, Celtic Lazio, come on, yeah, Celtic, Celtic Lazio is going to be bonkers. Yeah. Lazio, who who was three nil down to Atalanta at the weekend, and then came back and and he got like, they they uh, drew three three. But the moment of the game was Chiro Immobile, who's he's not the slickest of players. Let's be <laughs> Top frank, goal scorer, isn't he? It's bizarre. I really Nine already, hasn't it? We did a Golazzo recently about Pippo Inzaghi and how is it possible that this man scored so many goals. And Immobile is a little bit like that, but without mm. the kind of quirky... There's something I find delightful about Inzaghi, but Immobile not so much. But anyway, the moment where he tried to celebrate by taking his shirt yes. off, couldn't take the shirt off and subsequently fell over, was really, really choice. Anyway, they'll be taking that kind of skills to Celtic Park on Thursday. As I mentioned, Man United visiting Partizan Belgrade. Never an easy place to go, I'm guessing, Michael. Although I haven't been across their early season form. What about you? Is there a Europa League fixture? Do you do you tune in to Thursday nights? No, honestly. Really? No. So if they can't even get you, this is a little bit like... John Stones is the Europa League and you are a centre-half position at this point. If... It, if they can't even get you, who watches billions of games all the time, do you think what they need is a Europa League 2, perhaps? We are going to have one, aren't but, we? But with right. a Euro bar, so. that, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Should I ask you what game you're most excited about? Uh, Presumably, it'd be Genk-Liverpool. Yeah, and it's, one thing I am looking forward to doing is, uh, who I, because having watched him in the summer, he is a very exciting player, is Georgie Hadji's son for uh, Genk, Yanis, yeah. uh, who is... Started very well by all accounts for Genk, and well, he did. He looked good against Napoli, although that mm. wasn't a great game. Goalless draw there. No, but I, uh, at the under twenty-one Euros, I saw him this summer, and he right. in a really good Romania side. He beat England, uh, and yeah, he looked great there. So yeah, that's that's a watching him against Liverpool would be good. There are all sorts of other uh, games that are worthy of your attention. I mentioned Zidane's problems earlier on. They're away at Galatasaray. Where who went there last? PSG. PSG. That's right. PSG went there and they won, but it was wasn't easy. Mm. wasn't easy. I think game of the week is is undoubtedly into Dortmund, right? Uh, in the you know the self-styled group of death with Barcelona likely to win that group. Mm. One of those 
potentially one of those two clubs goes through one potentially wins Europa League basically so yeah I think that's game of the week is it a self-styled group of no I, I, have, the, have the teams themselves <laughs> insisted upon that take I, I've been thinking this. about the phrase it feels like all show and in, because <laughs> of that I've said some horrific things I'm sure <laughs> All right, well, that and indeed all the Champions League action, you know where you can watch it. And there's that special kind of Kellogg's variety pack uh, approach to it available via the <laughs> goal show. Uh, Paul asks, which footballer would you like to survive a zombie apocalypse with? Only one answer when I put this to the panel earlier. And it is, Daniel? Well, I said if you were guaranteed to survive it, which right. is implicit in the question, then yeah, you you're just surviving. Choo- you just choose your favourite footballer, don't you? Oh, I see. I thought that you were all going to say James Milner because that was consensus before. I'm going to go for Chelsea women's centre-half Millie Bright. Brilliant. Okay, that's yeah. nice. Any particular survival skills she brings to this? Um, well, she's she's a fairly rugged defender, so I think that would be helpful. She's right. also quite cheery, um, uh-huh. which is good. And if it literally is me and her, then it's oh. no good me, me and James Milner, is it? If, if You're thinking of procreation, yeah. necessary procreation. Wow. Yeah. This has taken a, a turn that neither I nor Paul Milner, or the eh? listener were expecting. Uh, Michael? I didn't think about the question. Did you not? <laughs> right. If you were to flip reverse uh, this. Yeah. A nuclear disaster. <laughs> okay. Are you doing the fo- Totally Football League show this Wednesday? No. Okay. Then you'll miss out on all sorts of chat about what's going on at the bottom of the championship. Uh, as Middlesbrough lose again. Just yeah, one point be... from 15 for Jonathan Woodgate. Yeah, a bit ropey for him. And the problem he's got is that the teams around him are winning as well. Stoke picked up a win this weekend. Huddersfield got a draw, but they look greatly improved under uh, those Cowleys. Yeah, and there's, there's midweek action. How Tuesday, are the Cowleys getting well. on? Uh, good. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. Further chat on those topics and more will be available Wednesday with Caroline Barker then on the Totally Football League show. Tuesday, of course, will bring you... Rafa, James and Jules discussing events in Catalonia and all the Champions League business. Y'all. And we'll be back on Thursday with a brand new Totally Football show featuring Tom Williams, Frida Fargaland and Jack Lang. An eclectic mix for you there. Have yourselves a great time in the meanwhile. Many thanks to Matt, Daniel and Michael. And we'll catch you Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>